I didn't grow up with a bunch of male role models. In fact, I didn't know my biological father. My mom was married three times by the time I was 10 years old. So there was a lot of uh, crazy instability in my childhood. So I actually had to come up with my own picture of what manliness meant. And so I just started imagining manliness. And when I was thinking about having this conversation with you all, I decided to look for that picture of manliness in my mind. So, you know, I'm going to be really vulnerable right now. I'm about to show you, like, approximately the picture of manliness that came up into my mind. So if you'll just bear with me, this is a picture of the manliness that came up into my mind, okay? (laughs) Basically, I was imagining to be some sort of hipster Latin lumberjack. I don't know how like that came about in my mind, but, but really I started thinking about this and man, this guy doesn't look like he has tried an ounce. He, he just threw on some clothes, got his awesome coffees. His hair is just really messy, but still beautiful. You know, he's like, and so I think about Oh, forget it. No, no hair here. But, uh, but also, I, I think about the beard, and so I just started to grow a beard as well. And, and, and no, no bigger moment that I think about uh, the thought of being this man or the manliness is when I was actually packing for a trip that I just went to, to Atlanta. I was taking a couple of my uh, male apprentices for student ministry to Georgia to go to this conference where they could learn a little bit more about what it looks like to lead a student ministry. And I started packing, and, and I started thinking about, I said, I was packing. I had a lot of pressure because I was going to a conference with other pastors. So I thought to myself, man, I got to take my cool jeans, you know, that are appropriately skinny. And then uh, I also had to take like a fancy shirt. I take a a vest because that's just kind of my thing. I had to take my cool boots and and definitely don't forget like very cool socks. You know, I had had this whole thing going on where all of a sudden I I have all this pressure and anxiety about packing this suitcase with all of these things that are going to make an impression on other people. I started to become really shallow, but but really the truth is (laughs) I did not realize how shallow I was until I actually realized that some of this stuff you'd imagine is very natural, but it really isn't natural because I didn't have a beard before. Probably only about three years ago, I started growing a beard, and my wife was like, don't you grow that beard. You know, I was like, it's no shave November, which is all of our excuse, right? It's just really like just be dirty and lazy November. That's all it really is. And so essentially, I started growing it, and then at the end of the month, she was like, fine, you can keep it. And then I started screwing around with my mustache. She was like, that is disgusting. You leave your mustache alone, you know? And then at the end of the time, I was like, fine, I will. But then she was like, really gracious, like, hey, if you want to do that mustache thing, you can. And so my wife has been really awesome. And, I, and not that she, like, pounds me what to do, but I just really want to look nice for my wife, and my wife is awesome. And so I started thinking about those things, but no bigger moment that I kind of think about how much actual work it is until I thought of the, because I had to take a man bag inside of my, my man bag. So, so, so really the biggest thing that I had to take out was, Listen, I'm very serious about my man products, okay? So you guys, just, just, be, just bear with me. Here we go. Okay, good, good. We're good. We're good there. So here's, here's the deal. It wasn't just a man product, you see, because apparently what I didn't understand about looking like that is that I had to have a, a beard brush, and essentially I'm going to move this other stuff over. I had to have a beard comb, but apparently I needed some sort of like nighttime moisturizer, and I needed a beard oil. So man, that's a lot of stuff. And then I also needed um, a beard balm, and I needed a beard brush that I have in here, right here. And then, oh, and then I also needed my, my mustache wax. Guys, 
this is the least manliest thing I've ever done in my life. Do you guys agree with that? Like somehow I realized at the end of this process that in order to have a lot of manliness, I needed to have a lot of girly products. And so, so that's essentially where I had to go with that. And when I thought about the manliness of all of that, I really thought about what it was I was trying to do. I was trying to create an impression. I mean, and it starts with the way that you dress. And when I think about the way that we dress, I think about, man, you can tell a lot from people from the way they dress. And so I, I've got a few things that I had in mind. When, when, you, when you think of a sports fan, like let's take a picture of a sports fan. Man, that guy, he tells you what? You really need to know this guy loves sports. He's all about his team. It's, I don't know if that's the way he normally dresses to work. I have no idea. But, but the truth is, he really likes it. Or maybe what does this say about somebody when they wear those? They love or Jordans, or do they think they're a baller? Probably a little bit of both. If you wear Jordans in here, it's okay. You're a baller. It's fine. All right. So <laughs> may, maybe, maybe you know somebody that wears Toms. Maybe you're somebody where maybe you think about that person. Wow, they're really generous. They're giving things across the world, so it's really great. Maybe wear, but if you wear maybe a pink ribbon uh, on like a bracelet or something, then you're very compassionate. P potentially, if you wear Crocs, then um, yeah. So okay, and then if you wear Birkenstocks, then maybe you're like a vegan. You got 12 cats. I don't know. But, but I'm not down with Birkenstocks. I know it's kind of back in and stuff. I'm like, please don't, but it's going to happen, I know. And then if you wear Chacos, then you probably just think you're an adventurer. I could just adventure. Like, that's it. You're just like, I can do it. You know, that's just kind of your thing. And, and really, but most of the time, which is cool, if you're out adventuring with Chacos, awesome. But let's be honest, this is basically most of the time what Chacos ends up looking like. And so I think to myself, if, if somebody's just standing around like in their regular clothes with Chacos, then it's probably not the coolest thing in the world when they have socks and shorts with their Chacos. And so, so I don't think that most people are running around having an adventure with their Chacos. But then I started thinking about what should Jesus followers wear? What should Jesus followers wear? And as I started thinking about that question, I thought immediately one of the most iconic Jesus follower wearing things is the what would Jesus do bracelet. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. I mean, that was one of our greatest accessories. Wow, we really, we really killed it with that one. Oh, you might recognize uh, Rainbow Afro guy. You guys ever saw this guy? You remember this guy? He was always at the games, and he's just kind of cheering it up for John 3.16. Or maybe when you think about Christian wear, you think of khakis and really long denim, right? Just a denim tornado, right? That's all, that's all you're thinking. So what in the world should Jesus' followers wear? And I think that before we can answer that question, we really have to answer, what should we do first? What should Jesus' followers do? And, and Jesus actually tells us. He spells it out for us in, in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to get into the book of John in a second, and we'll, we'll, we'll go to one more uh, section in another book in Colossians. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I just, uh, I just pray that you would just uh, speak to me in a way through your word today as well as everyone else about what, what, it is it, what is it that we should be wearing? How should we be clothed when we leave this building? And so, God, I just pray that, um, that our hearts would be prepared in a way that we would actually go and do. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of John, it says this, uh, Jesus says, I have a new command I give you. It says, 
to love one another. And, and as I have loved you, so also love one another. And so Jesus is asking for us to love one another, but in the way that he first loved us. And when I think about the way that Jesus loved us, then I think that he actually models it. He doesn't only tell us, but he models it in his life. We see Jesus with Matthew, who is a tax collector. Now, for you guys, that is just like, oh, it's kind of a big deal. He's a tax collector. But way back in the day when Rome was kind of in charge, then they would collect taxes from everyone. And when they collected taxes from everyone, the way they did that is they found a local guy, somebody you might have grown up with. You, you had over a bunch of times for dinner. You knew who that was. And then you, they gave him the position of tax collector, and he would just walk into your home with Roman guards and take whatever he wanted and go, this is for Rome. And then the way he got paid was he took a little bit more for himself. And so a tax collector would have been looked at as a traitor to his own people. And so what does Jesus do with Matthew? He invites him to do life with him. Come follow me. And so, so the way he models it is he loves people who would even be looked at as traitors. Another person that he would have loved was the woman at the well. Jesus finds himself in the middle of the afternoon asking for a drink of water from a Samaritan. A Samaritan would have been looked at as a complete social outcast. The amount of racism that was involved in this moment of time with Samaritans to Jews. But Jesus comes up and he says, can I have a drink of water? the audacity that Jesus would have had to say, let me drink out of the same cup that you're drinking from. Jesus destroyed racism and, and talked to outcasts and loved outcasts. Jesus with Peter, who Peter was the man. He was the guy that said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus, Jesus loved Peter, but Peter ends up denying him. Three times, not once or twice, but three times. So here's, here's this guy that Peter is supposed to be his really close number one dude. And he ends up denying him and he loves him anyway. And he, and he meets him where he's at anyway. And then Jesus was presented with an adulterous woman thrown naked in front of him while men stood around shaming and guilting her with, with stones in their hands saying, we should stone her. And Jesus' response is unbelievably loving and caring and say no problem just whoever whoever cast the first stone should be the one who's never sinned before and one by one they drop their rocks and walk away so Jesus models what it is to love but our definition if we're talking about your definition and my definition our definition for love is very different it's probably very fluid we we might say we love all kinds of things I just, I just love that show. I love it. You know, you love it. Or you're just like, I love Starbucks. It's my fave. You know, or like, you know, whatever it is, you just, you love it. We love all kinds of things. We love stranger things, or we love a specialty drink, or we love a particular character in a movie. We just love it. But I'm not sure that that's the definition of love that Jesus is talking about here in the scriptures. In fact, I, I know it is because, because when I think of, of, of love, I think that we often um, think of love in ways that are very conditional. We love things conditionally. I really love that person because that person does blank for me. I really, I really appreciate that product because that product makes me feel a certain way. I really love that show because I am entertained by it. We have a very 
conditional view of what love actually is. And whether you identify as a Christian or whether you do not identify as a Christian, that doesn't matter. We, we all have this fluid feeling of what love is, and we use love in all kinds of contexts. We use it half-heartedly. Man, I really love this. Yeah, I love that too. Well, you probably don't. Or, or, or we use it conveniently. Because you might say you love your friends, but when it's time for them to move, you don't love them that much, right? You're maybe not available that day. It's a convenient kind of love that we have. I'm speaking from experience of looking at that phone while I was calling going, oh, I know what this is about. Our love is often convenient. And, and oftentimes when we think about our love and the way when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, I, I really genuinely believe, at least let me speak for myself, and maybe some of you can relate with me, but I believe that many times in my life I've exchanged love for religion. You see, I, I've, I've said I, I love Jesus, but then I've turned it into something else. And, and, a, and a pastor down south, his name is Andy Stanley, he, he, he's quoted as saying this, the gravitational pull of religion is toward rule-keeping rather than relationship building. If you are anything like me, you have turned your relationship with God and, and this whole like Jesus thing into probably a couple of things. The first is we've turned loving God into rule keeping. We've turned loving God into, into rule keeping and keeping a set of rules. I've got to follow these rules and then I'm, then I'm good with God. There are these things that I've always been taught. I'm not sure that I've ever actually read them in my Bible. But I know because my parents told me and some people at church told me. And I've seen it on TV. I've seen it. I've heard it. And, and so I've got to keep these rules in order for my relationship with God to be good. And then, and then it actually gets changed from there because the truth is we can't keep those rules. None of us are perfect. The Bible says that all of us fall short. And when I, when I think about not being able to keep the rules, you would think that maybe might change my mind a little bit. But in truth, what I do is I create more rules. Because I'm so guilty and ashamed of not keeping those original rules that now I need to create some more rules. Essentially, I'm creating these formulas for what it looks like to love God well. And so I have exchanged loving God for, for rule-keeping, but I've also exchanged loving others for rule-pushing. You see, I, I take the rules that I've created in my mind, and I start then pushing them on everyone else that I know. All of a sudden, it's just not just me that need to follow these sets of rules, but I also need to now make sure other people are following those rules too, because that's loving. What a skewed definition of what we would say loving others is. Because I think oftentimes loving others is really just, just pushing rules on them. And when I think about that, I think about uh, when Jesus talked about taking the speck out of someone else's eye while there was a plank hanging out of our own. This plank eyeism that I know that I have struggled with in my life. Because it makes me feel better about my own relationship with God. If I could point out the ways 
that other people don't have a good relationship with God. And in truth, there are probably many of you in this room right now who have been mistreated, who've been judged, who've been outcast in the name of Jesus, in the name of love. Jesus loves you, so change everything about you. Many of us have, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, I have had for many years an image of a Jesus who is a finger-pointing, disappointed, frustrated, upset, condemning, punishing, guilt-ridding Jesus. But, but the difference is when I actually read my Bible, I didn't see that Jesus anywhere. That's the Jesus that I created in my own heart. That's the Jesus that I allowed the world and my experiences with my, with my parents and my home life. That's, that's the Jesus that I allowed my, my heart and, and, and culture to teach me that that's who Jesus is. But when I actually look at his word, when I actually look at his word, what I see is a Jesus who loves a traitor, who loves an adulterer, who cares for an outcast. That's the Jesus that's in the word. And, 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 and that, that image is not really what I ended up doing. I ended up pushing rules on everyone else. In fact, uh, and Jesus says this in John, he says, by, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And, and this, is, this is what essentially Jesus is trying to, to spell out in all of the Gospels. In every account that you're with him, he's trying to tell you to love and care for one another. And so if I, if I could wrap it up in a sentence, I'd say it this way. I'd say it's easy to confuse discipline with discipleship. It's easy to, to confuse discipline with discipleship, and, and here's why. It's easier. It's just simpler. If we could just create a set of disciplines in our lives, then, then we can check that off and we can feel really good about ourselves. And you know what? We're really busy. And so, so caring, caring is, is, is a lot of work and it's a lot of time and it's, and it's very emotional. And so if I can just create a set of disciplines in my life, then that, that might mean that, that really that that's discipleship. And, and discipleship ends up being a, a discipline ends up being a, a substitute for treating people well. And caring for people, especially people that don't look anything like us. And so, I guess I'm going I'm to speak for myself when I, when I say that that's why some of us do some of these things. And so I'm going to list off some of these things, but I know that these are some of the things that I have found myself doing. You see, that's why some of us can remember scripture, but not the names of our neighbors. We think that, that the discipline of, of remembering a scripture verse is what discipleship is. But Jesus would say, like, are you loving your neighbor? And, and that's also why some of us show up to church in order to be served, but not to serve others. I know for many years my wife and I attended a really large church that you could very easily get lost in. And the truth is here at Grumlaw, man, I... 
I walked around this morning and all I saw were people just serving all over the place. It was awesome. But I know even from my life and my wife, we, there are many years where we just attended church and just took whatever it had and we didn't have any thought about what it looked like to serve at the church and serve others. And that's why some of us also can name our coworkers sins but can't name their kids. Because we're not actually taking a moment to start an actual relationship with our coworkers. But man, we can name the things that they're doing wrong. I'll keep going. And that's why some of us give great input in a Bible study, but have nothing to put in when someone has a need. I found myself so many times being really eloquent in a Bible study and just sharing, yeah, you know, the Bible says this, and you know what I found in my life, and then it was time to share and be generous. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tight right now. Is that really truly love because I, 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 I confused what discipline and discipleship was and, and, maybe, and maybe some of us spend time pursuing God but have no time for the people God is pursuing many of us in this room could probably say man I spent some time reading my Bible and I spent some time praying and I, man I just really feel close to God but it would be really really weird to be very close to God's heart and not pursue the people who are close to God's heart I confuse those things in my own life. I confuse discipline and discipleship. And, and, and that's why I know that Jesus is talking about this other thing. In fact, uh, in the Bible, there's a man named Paul. And, and, and Paul is a guy who, who knows what it looks like to be educated because he was very educated. He was a Roman citizen. He had a great education. He knows what it looks like to be religious. He was a Pharisee. It was part of the, the holy ruling council, the people that when you saw them walking by, you just gave them reverence because they were very spiritual people. And, and, and he knew what it looked like to have and, and, and to have a lot of things and have status and, and have power and authority. And all that ended up getting him was hunting down Christians and persecuting them, imprisoning them, even killing them. Until one day God has an encounter with him. And before you know it, he realizes, man, I'm chasing down the very people that God wants me to be loving and caring for. And so for the next two, three years, he goes away and he gets discipled. And then he begins a ministry. And in this ministry, he's Paul the Christian who loves Jesus. And he begins to travel the entire region. And as he travels the region, he, he goes into the synagogues and he starts talking to everyone. And when he starts telling them all about Jesus, the Jews would flip out and they would kick him out. Many times he was beaten. There, there's a story, an account where he was literally beaten and stoned and they thought that he was dead. Can you imagine being stoned to the place that everybody thought you were dead? And that's Paul's life. But still he kept going. And what would happen is he would preach to the masses and he'd get kicked out and beaten. And then later at night, 10, 15, 20 people would find out where he is. And they'd ask him, hey, can you tell me about this Jesus guy? And he'd tell them. And all of a sudden, new Christians were popping up everywhere. People were placing their faith in what Jesus had done and who he was. 
And then so he would plant a church very much like Grumlaw, just in the middle of a city, boom, let's plant a church. Let's gather some people who also think the same thing, who are on mission, loving others. But then he would leave. He'd raise up leadership and he would leave, but then he'd coach from afar. Because as soon as he left, man, these churches were hot messes. I mean, people were sleeping all around with each other. They were doing stuff in the church. They were, it was a complete mess. And so he'd have to write letters. If he could, he probably would have texted or FaceTime, but he didn't have that. So, so he had to write letters. And when he did, essentially he was talking to them about what it looked like to be religious versus what it looked like to be kind and loving. And so, and so here's what he writes this letter to the, to the city and the church of Colossae, and, and of, of Colossae. And he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and, for, and, and forgive one another if, you have, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so let's talk about this description really quickly, this description of compassion. It, it essentially means love with all your heart. In fact, a more literal translation is love with the, like your bowels and your gut. Has anyone here ever loved, like, oh, I love this. I love this person. If you've had a child or a spouse or someone dear in your life, you've felt that love before. He says, put on compassion. He says, clothe yourself with kindness, which is loaning your strength to someone else. Being kind, understanding that other people have need when sometimes you have. And you can give what you have to those who have need. And so you're loaning your capacity and your strength to someone. And humility, seeing myself as I really am. And that's a tough one uh, because I, I don't know that we all have accurate, at least I don't have accurate views of ourselves. And, and many times I look at someone else and I think, aw, when really I'm no different than anyone else. My sin is the same. The way that I fail is the same. There's no status. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can have or create that makes you any different. The only thing that makes any of us special and unique is the love of the Father, the, the creator of the universe. We all have that. He also says gentleness. Gentleness, He's, which, which is a decision to respond in light of your strengths and weaknesses. So, so the, the picture here is sometimes we have to respond, but when we respond to something, then we have to respond in kind to its strength and weakness. For instance, if you were to uh, grab uh, something really small, like a contact lens, you'd grab it with the very tips of your fingers. But if you were going to grab a baseball, a softball, you'd grab it with your palm. And, and so that's the picture of gentleness. You're strong. So yes, you could grab a contact lens with your palm and squeeze it and break it. But, but you understand that it's delicate. And so you, you meet it where it's at. That's gentleness. And, and, and you adjust your approach. And, and the truth is, it's understanding that my relationship with you is much more important than my ability to impress you. It's about relationships. And then patience. Patience is this, the, the decision 
to go the speed of another person. Now, very quickly, let me tell you. I am probably the least Jesus-like when it comes to being in a hurry and other people are not. I don't know what it is about that, but I am no longer myself when that happens. So I realized that at the conference, I have these two men that I'm literally saying, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. Like, man, you should should really learn these things that I'm teaching you in the Bible. Jesus is pretty awesome, and I'm going to try to model these things for you. So what would happen is at the end of a conference, I really want to get out to my car because I just realized, like, lunch is there, and I just want to get out really quickly, and that's why I park all the way on the other side of the parking lot so I can get out real quick. I have a plan set. I don't know if anybody else does that, right? So as soon as I walk into the building, I'm already scoping it out. Yep, yeah, and I'll take a left over here, and I'll drop down the ceiling, and, I, okay, I can get out. It's great, right? And so essentially, as soon as the conference would let out for these breakouts, I'd be <laughs> I, I'm not joking. This is zero exaggeration. It was almost as if it were an Olympic event at that point. So I was like, and go. You know, I'm just, I'm just really like cruising, like at a serious speed. Like I'm whipping across. I, I honestly, at some point, I'm pretty sure I did some parkour off some walls and spun around some things. So, so I realized that I was actually going much faster because when I looked back, I, I didn't see them. And I was really frustrated. I was like, man, wh- where are they at? What happened? And so by the time I'm waiting outside and I'm pretty like, where, they, where were you guys at? And they were like, well, um there were some women that came in front of us, and we know you tell us always to let them go first, so we did. And then, uh, you know, that pregnant woman you almost knocked over? Yeah, we let her go uh, in front of us. And uh, then we got to you. And, and I realized, wow, the very thing that I was trying to model to them, I forgot what it actually meant. Patience. And he finishes with bear with one another and forgive each, each other. And, and he says that forgive just as Jesus forgave. And when I think about just as Jesus forgave, then I think, I think, man, what is a way that Jesus forgave? He forgave unconditionally in the Bible. If you, if you don't identify as a, as a Christian in this room, the Bible says that when you ask for forgiveness, God freely gives it to you unconditionally. And so Paul writes this. He says, he says above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And I think about the stupid clothes that I have brought here and that I wanted to impress people with and the things that I've done in my life to give an air of something or, or look this way. And all those things are awesome. We all have a, a specific personality and a uniqueness and a style. But at the end of the day, what does our heart say? And if I'm not clothing myself with love, and love is the umbrella, literally the umbrella that covers us. I'm not clothing myself in love and understanding that this umbrella of love is the way that I should be thinking about, then it's really just religious activity. Then I'm just being really religious. I'm just following a set of rules. Look at, look at me. Look at what I did. Look at what I can say. Look at the things that I can memorize. And Jesus says, if you want to wear something, if you really want to wear something, then wear compassion and wear gentleness. Because those are things that we don't really put on every day. And, 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 and where, where patience. Where all of these things that don't, we don't naturally put on every day because we're so busy putting on anxiety and worry and insecurity and frustration and offense and unforgiveness and bitterness. 
We, we have a closet full of those things. But I'm not sure our wardrobe looks the way that Jesus is describing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on the prisks really fast, and then I'm going to get out of here. So let me brag on the prisks really fast. Um, I'm going to say two things. Uh, but first, I'm going to say this. <laughs> um, Shay... <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk about the fact that the Prisk are clothed with love. But the truth is, one of the things that Shay is known for is for being unclothed at Mile City. I don't know if you guys know that. Like, his nickname is actually Shirtless Shay at Mile City. I kid you not, that's an actual nickname for him. All the time when we were celebrating, his shirt would come off. We have no idea why. And he was just kind of whipping it around and stuff. And so I didn't bring any pictures because I didn't want to throw them down like that. But, man, do we have loads of them. Okay? So if you want to email me, we'll get you some. But, but the truth is, Shay, Shay yes, in, in real life, it's hard to keep his shirt on because he gets really excited. But ultimately, when I think about the Prisks, there's not a lot of couples that I think that are more clothed and loved than the Prisks. Before I even came to Miles City, my wife and I, we have three daughters. Um, my wife and I have been married for 20 years, and um, our daughters are 18, 17, and 15. And um, we had one car, but we had three drivers going on four drivers. And we didn't really know what to do. We we're trying to figure it out. We're in ministry, and a car costs like, you know, money. And, and even if it costs like, you know, $1,000, that's like $10,000 of ministry bucks, you know? And so the, the reality is we were just praying through, what does that look like? And, and Shay didn't even really know me very well. He had met me a couple times, but he gave my family a car. The Prisks, as I think about Andrea and I think about Shay, what did that conversation sound like around the table as they thought, hey, yeah, we have an extra car, but man, we're going to plant this church and we got to figure out our finance. We've got to sell this house. We, gotta, we should just sell this car. But instead of having that conversation, they said, you know what we should do? We should clothe ourselves in love. Why don't we give this car to the Diazes? I know we don't really know them very well, but man, I bet you that would go a long way with them. And although that was unbelievable and, and, and awesome, it was another thing that he gave me that just spoke even deeper to who he was. If you know Shay, he's an avid hunter and his house looks like Jurassic Park. I don't know. There's just like all kinds of things hanging from the wall, things I've never even seen before. And it's amazing. And, and one, of the, one day we were talking about it in the office and Molly and I, we love thrifting and we love going to thrift shops and everything we have is like secondhand. It's just like our thing to try to like we did it. We got over on you, you know. And so, um, so essentially, we've wanted a long time for, like, some sort of cool animal carcass on our wall somehow. Sorry if you're not down with that, but, like, we just thought it looked cool. And so uh, we were just talking about that, and I was bragging about the fact that we got this bull skull. And I was like, yeah, but one day we'll get something like, you know, something like, like you have at your house or whatever. And he was like, why don't you just, like, take one of mine? And it seems so silly. And I'm like, dude, we're not taking one of yours. Those are really expensive. You actually went on a trip that meant something to you. You landed it. It's on your wall somewhere. You have a story for each one of those. He's like, dude, you're taking one of mine. We have so, are you kidding me? And I was like, man, that is so cool. And he said this, and he said this in a way 
He had, he had given us a car six or seven months ago, but for some reason, when he said this, it just spoke to his heart. He was like, it's so crazy. You wouldn't think that if you asked me that I wouldn't just say, hey, dude, take one of these. And I was like, no. The Prisks, the leadership, here at Grumlaw, when I think about it, I walked around this morning, the volunteers who are serving, man, what does it look like to be clothed in love? That's what it looks like. And, and, and maybe this, this is something you need to leave understanding. Your love has lasting effects. And you think it's just for you, but your love has lasting effects because it affects how the community sees God. It affects how people see Grumlaw. And really it affects, affects how people see God through Grumlaw. It affects how people see God through your actions and your generosity and your kindness and your patience and your compassion. But that's not all. Your love has lasting effects when it comes to the way your family sees God. Because your children will do what you do, not what you say. And if every day you say, man, you should love people, but you throw on bitterness and resentment and selfishness, and those are the clothes that you wear every day, then your kids are gonna put the same things on. But if every day you begin the process of learning what it looks like to clothe yourself in love, then your kids will do the same thing. And the truth is, it has such long-lasting effects that it will, it will affect the way that you see God. Because many of you in this room right now have an image of God that is not true. Many of you believe that Jesus, and whether, you, whether that means you are a Christ follower or you're in here figuring this thing out and somebody invited you or maybe you were working out and you thought this was the shower, I don't know. Whoever you are, you might have an image of a God that is completely false. You have an image of a God, of a Jesus, who's pointing a finger down at you and saying, how dare you do that? I can't believe you. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's not who Jesus is. If you don't have a Bible, you should get one. I'm sure Grandma has something to offer. And you should start reading it. If you have your Bible, open it up and find out who Jesus is. Because Jesus is not a finger-pointing Jesus. Jesus is Jesus whose arms are open. And he's loving and he's caring and he's uniting. He's not divisive. And he's generous. He's not selfish. And he's not condemning. He's rescuing and forgiving. That's who Jesus is. And if any person who claimed to be like Jesus was anything else, I'm sorry. Because I know that that was probably me at some point. The way you clothe yourself has lasting effects, and if we get this right, then our, our families will change for generations. If we get this right, then your co-workers will begin to believe you when you ask them how can I serve you? If we get this right, then your neighbors will trust when you say, I'm for you. If we get this right, if when we leave those doors, 
clothe ourselves with love, if in the morning we clothe ourselves with love, if after a frustrating afternoon we just clothe ourselves in love. And, 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 and I guess, let me just say it this way, and this will be the last thing. Jesus shows when you wear the right clothes. It'll be the Jesus that shows when you, when you clothe yourself 